What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. Today I'm sitting down with David Robinson Jr. I'm really excited about that. We haven't known each other very long, but I listened to your podcast. So I feel like I know you. (laughs) And it's weird. Isn't that weird? Um, This morning I was at a coffee shop and I was passing by a table and the lady that was sitting there couldn't get on the Wi-Fi. And she said, hey, are you on the Wi-Fi? And I said, yeah. And she said, do you know what the password is? So I told her. And then she said, your voice sounds really familiar. <laughs> are, you on, are you on a podcast? Are you miseducation? And I was like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> so anyway, I feel like I know you. I probably would recognize your voice if you were passing by because I listened to, you, to your podcast with you and your dad. Yeah, it's, it's funny kind of growing up with my dad. I mean, I think a lot of things in his life and on our lives have meant a lot to other people. I um, mean, it's just weird. You know, I, I have... Sometimes random people come up. They're like, I remember when you were born and it was in the Aww. newspaper. And I was like, that's really weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's um, yeah, I, it's it's strange. But it, it's also nice to if like if you're a part of somebody's life and they can internalize that experience. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, it's, it's like 12 people listen to me, I think. And I just happened to run into one. Um, but it was still so weird to just have that experience. I can't imagine what it was like growing up having that experience all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. I think moving back here, I've really appreciated just in being a little older, you know, just how much respect people have for, for my dad. You know, I think a lot of people, especially now and like with celebrity culture, they, you know, they put a lot of people on pedestals per se, but I, I think there's also a lot of lack of respect. It's just people know who you are um, yeah. versus with, with my dad, you know, people take the time to say, you know, not just because you played basketball, it's because the man you are, you know, the time you spent with the military or the things you've done in education. Like they really try and say, it's not just, I know your name and I've seen you on TV. It's like, I respect who you are as a person. Um, yeah. And so I think that's, that's really a cool thing to see and, and how, you know, people, view him and respect him and and want to tell him they just they want to take time to tell him that it's pretty awesome I mean, it's quite a legacy too right like it's really cool thank you for being here today thank you i'm excited tell us more about you tell us where have you been where what's going on what are you doing what am i doing um yeah so i i was born and raised here in san antonio um i grew up on the north side and went to san antonio academy um, until eighth grade, which I loved. And we're actually not that far away. No, from we're it. not. It's right right around the corner. Yeah. East French place. And it's funny because when you're young, that, that campus felt 
huge. <laughs> I mean, it was like it was like this whole oasis, um, and then coming back, it's like a city block. Yeah, <laughs> and like all this, just feel it. You know, coming back as an adult, everything is so much smaller. Um, and so, I, but I really love the academy, and made a, a lot of lifelong friends there that still am in contact with today. And we're kind of at the place where you know, I'm 27. And, and so a lot of people are, especially the kids who are right above me, are starting to move back in, in a big way. Yeah. Um, and, and some of the kids my age, a lot of most of the kids my age are still kind of living other places, you know, other places in Texas and New York and elsewhere. But it's cool to see kind of how that that network, you know, everybody starts to move back to San Antonio yeah. and build a life here. And uh, it, it's it's interesting to see um, because I can tell just by nature of going there, like I will have a, a network. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, I think when you talk about schools and kind of the what are the long term effects of where you went, like going. Yeah, it does have a, a, a very does. much a long term and how you build network and some of that social capital. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to academy, and then I went to San Antonio Christian School on the north side, um, mm -hmm. Redland Road and, and 281 for high school, um, and then UT for, for college. And then after college, I, I moved to New York. And so I, I worked in New York for about four years, and then I just moved back a year ago to in San Antonio. Yeah, it's a different pace. Yeah, <laughs> it is a different pace. But there's a lot happening in San Antonio. It's I, I think it's uh, – I was surprised about how much, if you're looking for it, there's there's a lot to do here. Yeah, there really is. I feel like it's gotten even more so lately, like in the last five or ten years, where you, if you were a foodie destination now, I don't think we ever, I mean, we were taco haven for sure, but foodie destination, um, we have a great museum presence. I mean, it's, I, I agree. There's lots of things to do in San Antonio. Yeah, and yeah. we're kind of spread out. I think it's I think it's easier when you're from here. You know, you kind of know how to navigate it. I could see how if you're you're not and you just moved here, yeah. and especially if you live on the north side, it can feel very isolated. You know, you're not going to just stumble upon things to do. So I could see how totally. if you, you know if you're not from here and you you don't live in kind of the downtown area, it could feel like, oh, this is a really slow place. But, you know, if you make the effort and try and go out and find things, there's a ton of things happening. I think you're right. I think we have we have a lot of friends that live out past 1604 um, on the north, like 1604, 281. And my mother-in-law lives over there. And I really feel like, man, it's so far away from everything. We have to pack a lunch to go out yeah. of town when we go visit them because we tend to stay right here in the center of the city. And there's and then when they are coming to see us, it's like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I don't know where anything is. And no parking. There's no, yes, and there are not there also are um there are fewer places that are like a chain of something. So it's my, everything here is family owned and we know the local scene, but even our friends and family who have lived here their whole life, if they don't live downtown, they they have no idea like where should we go eat? There's not a you know. I don't know. I don't even know the big chains anymore. Yeah, growing up, I mean, I, I felt like I, mean, I grew up out on 1604, and, like, I didn't, outside of when the Spurs won the championship or, you know, yeah. like Fiesta or, you know, we we didn't really spend a lot of time, like, downtown, downtown. There really are two different cities. There are. There are, which makes schools and figuring out where to go to school really kind of complicated. And then figuring out what, if you find a school that you really like but don't live in the neighborhood, trying to get to that school is really hard. 
Um, and you're you're in the real estate industry now, right? Yep. And so tell us a little bit about about that and your experience with families and looking for schools and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, for for us, we've really been interested in kind of the growth of downtown San Antonio and the urban core. And one thing that just has made it's it's really apparent is that the school systems are such a, a driver on where people choose to live and, and kind of the lifestyle and, and what they think is available for them. Um, and rightfully so, you know, downtown San Antonio, there's a lot of really great energy. There's a lot of push to bring new jobs downtown and um, new apartment yeah. buildings getting built and Southtown is starting to gain some momentum and the East side is changing in a lot of ways. But you know, for a large section of San Antonio that are you know families and, or young, especially young families, they don't really see the the downtown and the urban core as a place that's viable to live because the school systems, they just, you know, especially when they're looking for a home and they're, they're kind of planning out their future and they're, you know, like you said, they're mm-hmm. relying a lot on their real estate agents and um, all the advice they're getting and all the feedback is it's, you can't live downtown. The school systems are not great and, you know, they live up North and that kind of continues to, to perpetuate. to perpetuate the sprawl and the sure, city just yeah. keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, and, and not, and San Antonio ISD has done some amazing things and amazing progress, which, you know, is, is so needed right now. And so that's kind of something that ha- just personally with work, you know, we want downtown yeah. and, and the, the urban core to be a thriving place for people of like all incomes, all different lifestyles, you know, singles, family, families, but for people with families, it is such an hindrance. And mm-hmm. so having strong school systems in the urban core and, and school choices is such a key. If, if you know, long term we want our city to grow, um, yeah. you know, in a, in a sustainable way, not just sprawl out where, you know, I think one major concern is, you know, the north side is just going to keep growing and growing and growing all yeah. the way up to Austin. Exactly. And then, you know, the the south and the east and west side just you know will get forgotten and it's like that's not the that's not the city we want to build where all the money just goes north and north and north mm-hmm. um forever i think at a certain point san antonio needs to be able to stand on its own and yeah. and and build a holistic city where all sides of the all sides of the city are attractive places to live not just one area mm-hmm. i think a lot about well, I mean, obviously, I think a lot about school choice because I work in now the choice genre of our in our education um, industry. It forces you to think through. There's lots of reasons why choice would be imperative to improvement. Like I think competition makes people improve. I think that when you have options, um, you you become more competitive anyway because you want to retain the students that you currently have and you want to attract new students. Um, I don't think that we are always thinking through. So those are like obvious to me, right? Like those are like the obvious things that we always talk about every time school choice comes up. Um, But I don't think it's as obvious, at least in my mind. I'm not always thinking about real estate and the growth and development of our city and business development um, and where businesses choose to locate. Uh, And But I will say that when I was working um, in the urban core, one thing that I noticed right away, I mean, I moved from a school, one school that was like on the outskirts of the urban core on the northern into the actual downtown. And I realized really quickly, like, I can't get to an ATM machine very easily. Yeah. 
there's not like a drive through bank anywhere near me. We're actually in a food desert. Like we, it's more than a mile to get to the local grocery store and there's not a bookstore. Coffee like, shops. It doesn't I mean, exist. Yeah. I mean, if you look south, like Halcyon it, and, and, and Blue Star is the only yes. coffee shop. Like, And those were probably a good two and a half miles from the school that I, I mean, that's not far, but it's far enough. Right. You know, how many San Antonians have walked two and a half no, miles? Exactly. In I was just going to say, goes, like, not, not, not recreationally. Like, right. It's not, yeah, it's it's not, not feasible. In the it's not feasible. It's not in the culture. So, none of that is going to change if people are not willing to live in those neighborhoods because that's what drives the business development, right? Like, that, I mean, a business is going to want to grow where people are going to be there to buy their product, but all of that is somehow connected to schools. Yeah, I mean it's all it's all uh, all connected. That's you know I'm studying urban planning at UTSA now, and it's like really interesting to understand, you know, what's the thirty, forty, fifty year you know plan and horizon, and how do we think about all these things like transportation? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean San Antonio has been our transportation system has been woefully underfunded since the seventies. Um, I mean, if you compare it to Houston and Dallas and Austin. And they have billions of dollars more mm -hmm. that have gone into their transportation system, and we see it now. And so, like, what are we spending our money on instead? I mean, a lot of. I mean, everything is, is it just we don't have the money, or it's no, it's it's not. They're all good things. I think that's the hard part with yeah. the city. I, right now, you know, we chose, we made a decision. We can take one cent out of the sales tax for for transportation funding, and so San Antonio chose. To, to break up that one cent and, and use it for a lot of different things. And, and one of it has been the Aquifer Protection Program, which has been amazing and, and you know, protected a lot of, of land up north around the, the Edwards Aquifer, which mm -hmm. you know, is incredibly important. And once that land gets developed, you can't get it back. Right. So I think that's you know, some of the and, – and right now we're in the middle of kind of working through you know, we, if, if we want to put more money into transportation – you can't keep deploying right. that money into the aquifer program. So that's a really hard choice for people to make, you know, and, and I think it doesn't have to be that simple. There's lots yeah. of ways, but, you know, for right now, I think that those are the things we're working through as a city. You know, how do we prioritize environmental concerns versus transportation, which gets into more of the social and, and mm -hmm. equity issues. And, um, and it's just a lot of hard decisions to, to make, um, especially up front. And I don't think that it's on every practitioner's mind that those decisions that are getting made are going to drive what happens in your school. Right. I don't think that's necessarily on the forefront of what teachers are thinking about or what principals are thinking about. I honestly hadn't really thought through what families ask real estate industry partners. Like well, I, It wasn't on my radar until we started seeing a real decline in enrollment as a district and then and then even at the actual school. And even though there was a, a really nice apartment complex that was being built probably half a mile from the school, we weren't gener it wasn't generating any families or any more students for us because it's like they're not family units. It's a single it's this little tiny apartment that right. really one bedroom studios. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when I started asking realizing like, oh man. Even though we're going through an urban revitalization, it's not necessarily going to mean that we have more students to put in seats in schools because the people that are choosing to live downtown 
don't have kids. Right. And that and that ties back to the school systems in, in a big way. And I mean, I think one thing we're really working through right now, and it, it, I think every city is across the country is, you know, urban cores are now feeling a revitalization that, you know, there's a new demand to not have to rely so much on your car mm-hmm. um, and, you know, have your plot of land out in the suburbs. I think there's yeah. new, people want to be close to things. People want to be in the action. But there's there's a lot of communities that have been in urban cores, you know, a lot of times not by choice, yeah. uh, but they've built a life and built a community. And, and now they're seeing their property values rise and they're seeing new Mm-hmm. new players in their neighborhoods and, you know, commercial developers, new homeowners, home flippers. Um, and, and I think, you know, one thing that has been very I think apparent is, you know, I think this change is, is happening. Everything change is always going to happen no yeah. matter what. Um, but, you know, I think when, when it is coming, it, it's really important to have long-term stakeholders in that change. So for urban core neighborhoods, if they're going to be new people moving in, new players moving in, you want people who are going to be there for the long term, you know, not yeah. just short term profit driven people who right. their sole focus is to you know come in, flip the neighborhood, flip the neighborhood and-, and then, you know, have nothing to do with you. And there's no accountability there um, versus people who they're acknowledging, yes, you know, urban living is is much more in demand. You know, it's mm-hmm. a place I I would want to have a house and I would, you know, like to raise a family. But, you know, you want people who are going to buy a house and be there for a right. long time and, and be part of the neighborhood and be sensitive and attuned to, to the issues. Um, and those are, I think, in a main sense, like those are the homeowners mm-hmm. and those are the people who are going to come in and raise their families. But the problem that we're experiencing is people don't see the opportunity to raise their families in the in the urban core because of perceived lack of of quality school options. Sure, it's it's a narrative that's been really long standing, right? That that the inner city schools, especially like in general, but especially in San Antonio, haven't always had good student outcomes. Um, and it's been that way for a really long time. And so people, you know, they have I mean, where did you go to school in San Antonio is a really important a question, question. Yeah. <laughs> and you know it's it's not always been a source of pride to say I went to an inner city school you know I mean that's just the truth telling um but I do think we've made such great progress but the narrative hasn't changed as quickly as some of the schools in the urban core have changed it's still it's still the narrative that's being told um and so how do we change that I know you and your dad work really closely with an urban school. Um, how do you shift the narrative around what's happening in the urban core in education? I mean, it is it is shifting. I think that's the, the amazing thing. I think um, with Superintendent Martinez, I think uh, you know, I think over the last what four years, mm-hmm. SAISD has gone from a D to a B rating. So, I mean, it is shifting. I think that takes time. That's it takes time to get that awareness, but that I think is what's very exciting about what's happening in San Antonio. We've seen so much change uh, for us personally. You know, I think going back to your whole theme of you know whose problem is education. Uh, yeah, for my dad, when he moved to San Antonio and started playing with the Spurs, you know, he 
wanted to get in, involved in the community in a meaningful way. And, and he started off with like a series of scholarship programs. Mm-hmm. And so for kids who, um, you know, were seniors and promising, he offered scholarships to college. And, you know, that was kind of his first thing that he really started doing in the community. And, and I think what he found then it was, it was just, you know, there were so many kids who didn't even get to the point to being a senior and being able to go to college to even take advantage of those scholarship dollars. You know, it was, it, it just felt very surface level. It's like how he, he wanted to kind of get in deeper yeah. and figure out how do I help more kids even get closer to getting to college, not just help the ones that already fought against all the odds who are now on their way to college. Um, and, and so that led him to starting the Carver Academy. And so I think, you know, for, for better or for worse, he took it into his own hands and 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 started a school. Yeah. Um, now, that was probably not – like if you asked him and he was here today, he probably would not recommend that because <laughs> <laughs> it was – I mean, it was definitely was not the easy route. Um, sure. But, you know, I mean, on the east side, I think the east side hadn't seen any new development. And this is like, you know, 99, 2000. They hadn't yeah. seen any new development in probably 30 years. Like nobody wanted to have anything to do with that area. Um but he wanted he he kind of saw the idea he saw the ability for like a new face and a new identity for the east side i think the school kind of represented a lot of that somebody wanted to actually fulfill a promise i think east side right. had a lot of promises made and a lot of people not fulfill those promises yeah. and so he wanted to follow through and give that that side of town a, a source of pride. So you know, they acquired four city blocks and and built the Carver Academy and uh, you know beautiful new space and and it's gorgeous um, and you know Lake Flo- Flato designed it. There's something beautiful in that neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and but you know the model wasn't really sustainable. It was a K through six private school. Um, you know they were having to fundraise two and a half million dollars each year for a hundred kids, you know, and it was not scalable. You know, it was, they were doing amazing things. Like both my younger brothers went there, um, you know, incredible quality of education. Kids were learning Japanese and all kinds of different things, but, but it wasn't scalable. And I think they raised, you know, $40 million over 10 years and it was still a hundred kids, you know, and it, and I think that really started to wear on him thinking, you know, how, you know, it's a hundred out of, out of, out of, out of, I mean, hundreds of thousands. Exactly. And so um, really thinking, okay, well, how do you amplify what we're trying to do and, and reach more people? And so kind of timing is being everything. Um, around 2012, Idea Public Schools was looking to to kind of expand out of the valley. They tried to go to Austin, met a lot of resistance there. Um, and then, you know, my dad and a f- few of his partners really recruited them down to San Antonio. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so they partnered and Carver became Idea's first campus here. Um, and from there, it's been just an incredible partnership. You know, they went from one campus with 100 kids to now got I think, over 25 with 15,000 kids in San Antonio. And we just had our first graduating class in 2018, um, and kind of continuing on where every, you know, every single kid matriculating to college. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that has really been in a really interesting journey, you know, trying to be a private school, finding right. the challenges, navigating through that now working with finding charter, the right partner, finding the right partner, but still, I mean, if you're really thinking about like scalability and whose problem is mm-hmm. it like, you know, even at 15,000 kids or so, 
you know, I think we only still we only have two or three percent of market share of kids in San Antonio, you know, and and it'll continue to grow. But you know, charters will never idea or charters will never solve you know overall education. I mean, yeah. there has to you know, there has to be more collaboration with the public school systems to make a more you know to make an impact at more scale, um, and that's something that I would love to see. And I think that. San Antonio ISD has really been embracing, which is exciting, where, you know, it's it doesn't need to be a hostile environment where it's either or. It has been in the past, right, right? where people really do, really felt like you had to pick a side. And you don't, I mean, if, and, if you had to pick a side, like nobody's going to win that. Like, exactly. Char- like charters aren't going to, you know, charters are meant to be nimble and try new things and, and experience new learnings and, and try and force change a little bit. But mm-hmm. the answer isn't let's only have charter schools now and have them replace the public school systems. You know, it's how does, how do charters provide a more innovative model and the space to try and like in tech, they say innovate and move fast and break things. Um, (laughs) And then, and then kind of relay that knowledge back to the public school systems who, you know, they, they can't be as fast moving because they have a lot more responsibility. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing in the, in the private sector, you know, public companies can't act like a, venture back startup because right. they have a lot more responsibility. They have you know, thousands, if not millions of shareholders um, who are relying, you know, who have their, you know, their IRAs and their savings in those types of stock. And so they can't just try things because they want to. And and so I think same thing with the school systems, like they just have a much heavier share of, of responsibility. And so they're slower moving that's, and that's fine. But I just I would love to see more collaboration and and it's happening and, and, yeah. and which is exciting but more collaboration be- between the two where charters can really share you know the way they work with data or the way they train teachers or the way they approach college counseling and follow through on mm-hmm. matriculation you know all of these things that I think Kip and Idea and Basis and and you know, Great Hearts all these great quality charters have have had really great success because when you look at the results, they are getting results. Yeah. And, and so you can't ignore that saying something they're doing is right. Mm-hmm. You know, can we take some of that and implement it at a broader scale? So I, that's what I would love to see. And I think we can also push each other to question a lot of the systems that have been in place for a long time around what makes quality quality, you know, and what does define success and how do how should we be measuring students and what should student outcomes look like? And I think that there's a lot of room to your point of being agile and nimble and being able to flex really quickly in a smaller system. You have a lot of room to test out some of those other theories to test out like, well, should we all be holding every student to the exact same accountability set, even though every student's not the same student? Right. You know, could we figure something else around out around that? Are these practices even equitable? How would we figure that out? Where can we solve for that? Um, I think that those are great testing questions that smaller systems could tackle. Um, and we, the big systems, could give you the question. Right. right. Like, well, that's exactly. That's, I mean, that, like we could say, like, hey, I don't think this is equitable. Right. What do you think? Like, can you solve for this for me, could please? Could you run a two-year pilot and, like, come back to us? That, uh, yeah, those things where it can go both ways. And the, the the school systems, they have so much more breadth and touch of kids where they, I think they can really identify upfront problems that people are struggling with, whether it be parents or students, um, and then 
kind of relay that to the to the charter school systems to find innovations. Yeah. Um, what I think in in terms of sort of having big institutional knowledge and big systems, things around learning science, things that people have dedicated entire careers to, um, research, you know, and then you have other smaller systems and some charters who don't require teachers to go through a full four-year teacher prep program where we could actually just, you could come to us and say, what's learning science around this? How can we, how can we sharpen all the tools in our toolkit by coming to where we know that there are teachers who have spent a lot of years in a research mindset? Um, we can help each other. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. And if that were to happen, the school systems, like systems with a capital S, not just ISDs, but every school system that exists in the urban core, I think would be a little bit better for it if we could figure out a mechanism for making that happen at scale. Yeah, and I mean, I, yeah, I mean, even going back to just enrollment, you know, just thinking about like if there was just a universal application where, you know, I think there, there are plenty of kids. It's just the question is how to, you know, how do all these school systems find the right student for them? And so mm-hmm. with school choices, you know, there are lots of options, but then how do, how do the parents and, and the students get to those options and how do yeah. those school schools get to the students? And so, I think, you know, what CEP is doing with School Finder is just it's so important because connecting those dots where it's less competitive, where you don't have to be feeling like you're fighting over kids. If you can identify all of those kids and then track them to where they're supposed to be to the right situation for them, you know, socially, when you're thinking about transportation and location and all these different things, but then also academically for, you know, for what they're interested in, if they're interested in the arts or Mm -hmm. STEM or, you know, anything under the sun, they can find that right option for them. Um, So I I think, you know, somebody, something like School Finder can maybe ease some of those competitive frictions that the systems have felt um, because I, I I just don't believe that there's just like this finite amount of students and, you know, there's only so much, I understand there's only so much money to go around, but yeah, it's, it's more of a, can you connect the students to the right seat versus, you know, is, is there like a all or nothing winner? It just doesn't seem, it seems like there's a lot of inefficiency there. Yeah, for sure. And I think even just having the conversations around it sometimes will lift up pieces that we can tackle together and and lift up pieces that maybe are blind spots for one or the other system where you think, yeah, okay, how are we going to recruit? And how can we recruit kindly? And how can we make sure that parents have full access to really accurate and timely information so that they really feel like they're having the opportunity to make a really well-educated decision around where they're going to send their student to school. Making it easier for them. And making it easier for them. have to do 10 different applications. That requires like a big city mindset and not a system mindset, right? Like it can't just be territorial where it's like, well, we got to, we got to protect what's in our boundary at all costs. Like if that means we have to launch ahead of everybody, if that means that, I, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I feel like, again, we're like back to how do we change a narrative? How do we change a, mi- a mindset? Like, these are big, heavy lifts. Um, and I think that's what gets people stuck is because it's like, I mean, I'm going to pull on this thread, but every time you pull the thread, the knot gets tighter. Right. And and so it's hard to figure out what 
what is the lever that we have to pull in order to be more city-minded and less district-minded or charter-minded or neighborhood-minded? Like, how do we figure out how to come to a table and say, what is good for the city? And and in in more than education, but in transportation and in um you know, all the environmental factors that we were talking about, like all of these things are interwoven. You can't, you can't really separate any of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is happening in, in a new way here in a way that it has not been happening. I think there's a lot of collaboration happening across the philanthropic world. I think the area foundation has been doing a really good job bringing different funders in saying, you know, what are we? All, what are all our goals, and how can we come together um, on the business side? You know, around economic development, the San Antonio Economic Development Foundation has been an amazing convener, mm. trying to get all the businesses, all the all of their interests, and everybody in the same room on the same page, saying how are we funding, and can we be smarter? Um, education, you know, city education partners. So I, I think there is more of that, which is really exciting. In San Antonio, we've just always been so fragmented yeah and and i see more of you know more people coming together and working together which is awesome um you know san antonio sa 2020 and like molly you know i think that is so important and just having one scoreboard one Mm -hmm. you know set of data that says you know like that not everybody if, if everybody's trying to solve these same issues you can get on the same page because right. I think that's been a problem. Everybody's working off a different set of goals. Um, and then it's like, how are you supposed to work together? If you know, I'm playing chess and you're playing you know, cricket. Who's winning? Yeah, I don't like, know. <laughs> well, I don't even know what game you're playing. So I think, you know, for SA 2020, especially you know, really aligning everybody to the same standards and same goals and same levels of accountability and saying, you know, if we're going to be a better city, this is what we have to figure out. Um, that that just makes collaboration so much. It's never easy, but more achievable. And I, I think we have new tools to help with that. And like with technology and data, you know, it, it is providing opportunities to kind of make that message more straightforward and, and put cleaner goals and targets up there uh, that just hadn't been available in the past. Um, And so I'm excited to kind of see it is a new X factor that we, you know, we're all trying to grapple with and see like, you know, how is that going to change the conversation? I think it can. Where would you point people? Like where should they go first? I've, we've pointed them to SA 2020 for sure. SA 2020 has a bunch of events coming up. Yes. And they're cool events. Uh, this last one was, I think, last night. Yeah, last night. Yeah, yeah, and it was on Dorkle. civic en- engagement. Yes. Um, and they will have a series that touches on education and all kinds of things. I think that's one way you can just go plug in. If if you're listening and you want to know, like, where should I go? Look it up. Yeah, they have no, all I mean, kinds of events. They they are essay. It started in 2010, and then they put together. They went and surveyed a whole lot of the community, and then they. Mm-hmm put together a vision and goals for 2020. And then now it's 2020 and they're going through that whole process again. So this mm-hmm. is kind of like a once in a decade opportunity to really, you know, they're out there listening, trying to find as much feedback and, 
and um, you know inputs and opinions that they can have and and really put together you know what does San Antonio need to strive for for 2030 mm-hmm. um, and, and so that time is yeah right here and now it's right here um, and now so they're going to be hosting a ton of events over the next year taking in a ton of feedback so that would be a great way to plug in and kind of get your voice heard mm-hmm. any other places you think like what should what should people be paying attention to well there's I mean there's a couple really big really big votes coming up soon <laughs> over the next year. Um, for you know, sure. In May, um, pre-K for SA is going to be up for, for kind of mm-hmm. for, the next for a, iteration, the next iteration yeah. and the next round of funding. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that early childhood education, you know, you can only, I think it starts so early. So if you're, you know, if you're going into pre-K, you know, never having, had any formal education, like you are so far behind. So yeah. forget third grade reading right. scores. Exactly. Like, I mean, if you're, you know, it, it starts in pre-K, it starts first, second grade. So I, I think really getting behind that and setting kids up for success and families up for success is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, that, that, that vote is in May and it, that'll, there'll be a lot of ways to engage there. Um, and then also on, on the transportation issue, how are people getting around, how are families being more economically mobile? Um, and so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think right now, like, oh, there's so many jobs getting created on the North side right now. And if you wanted to work at Lock and Terra Mall, and you live on the south side, it takes like an hour and a half right. to even get there using public transportation right now. So it's like not even the kid, but the parents, you know, if they're trying to find real good, you know, work on 1604 mm-hmm. where there are jobs available and they, they're they squeezed on labor and everybody on the, on the, you know, on the, on the, in the urban core can't get there. Um, and so I, I think, you know, this, this via transportation plan, they really want to revamp the bus system, add a whole new level of, of rapid transit to that as well. And, you know, that, that'll affect the families, not just in the direct, you know, for a student getting to school easier, but, you know, for their families and, you know, for that mobility, um, Mm -hmm. is is just so crucial. So that'll, that'll be in November, um, along with a whole nother election, (laughs) 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 the presidential election. Um, so I, I think that'll be a really interesting you know, thing to, to kind of pay attention to and, and get involved with if you, if you want to, but I know there will be a lot of organizing and opportunities to engage. So whose problem is it then? I mean, all things considered, right? Yeah, it's everybody's. I mean, I think if, if, you know, apathy is, is the, the worst thing that the worst way to approach it, because I think in the void of, you know, in the void of somebody, you know, of people paying attention and caring about things, you know, people just can do whatever, you know, people pulling the strings can do whatever they want. Um, mm-hmm. So I, there's, yeah. So I think, you know, it, it's everybody's problem and everybody can get in way, involved in their own way. Um, but I think San Antonio, it's a great thing that it's, you know, we still do kind of have that small town mindset mm-hmm. where, you know, people do feel engaged and people feel like they're, able to to have a voice so i think we should keep that and and keep keep yeah. voicing our opinions and keep getting involved yeah i mean i feel like school pride in san antonio is really something that resonates with everybody um there are heritage families that have gone to schools for generations and they're really proud of of that legacy um and i think that should be the impetus for getting involved staying involved at least being aware and going and voting 
I believe it is up to all of us to make sure that our schools are thriving and that our teachers are well taken care of, mm-hmm. that they're well supported, that they're well um, admired, that they we recognize that they're doing the absolute, absolute highest, I believe, <laughs> highest calling. It is not an easy job. Um, it is not. So everybody should love their teachers. Yeah, that's that's an easy and, way to that's an easy way to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you for talking to me today. I appreciate you making time. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.